If you have your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. We have been learning in the first eight verses of Philippians 2 that the way to unity is through humility. The way to learn humility is by following the way of Jesus who humbled himself to be crucified for sinners. Now when I talk about humility you realize that in the eyes of the world, humility is foolishness. But in the sight of the God of the universe, it is not. It is actually the way to exaltation. We hear this in Jesus' own words in Matthew 23 and verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I appreciate what one commentator says of these verses in Philippians 2 when he writes, Paul is presenting the divine paradox, foolish to the natural man, that the way up is down, that a cross precedes a crown, that the road of exaltation by the Father is paved by humble service to others for the Father's glory. Let's face it, none of us naturally gravitate toward unity, do we? None of us makes humility before others and serving one another our highest aim naturally. I appreciated what John said in our men's Sunday school class this morning when he said, I am anti-anything God wants me to be. And humility is one of those things that we're anti. We don't naturally gravitate toward that, do we? That's work. We want to pursue our own comfort first. That's what's natural. But for there to be unity in this place, for there to be unity amongst God's people at Chardon Baptist Church, God's people in this place must be growing in humility. We must make humility a priority with Jesus as our model. Now, from time to time, you're going to hear sermons when I say, here's three things to work on. Here's three things to make a priority. And you're hearing me right now saying humility is one of those. But the, the point of the lesson this morning, the point of what we're going to learn from God's Word this morning is just by observing Jesus Christ. We can learn humility by observing Jesus Christ. And I want to observe Jesus Christ together this morning. So you're not going to hear much of do this, do that kind of thing, which we really don't need to hear right now. We need to see what Jesus has done, what he has finished, how he served us. So with Jesus as our model, it's fitting that we continue to look at the example of Jesus as we continue here in chapter 2 of Philippians. And we're going to see here that because Jesus humbled himself, because he lowered himself, he stooped to become a man, lived as a sinless man, and then surrendered himself to be crucified on a cruel cross, he is now highly exalted. As we learn about the exaltation of Christ this morning, I want us to see in a new light how we too can grow in humility by just observing Jesus and following his example. Follow along as I read Philippians 2. We'll look at verses 9 through 11. 
And I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, verse 9, Philippians 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I want you to note first the source of the exaltation of Jesus. What's the source? Or maybe we should say, who is the source? Notice that it says in verse 9, therefore God. God the Father exalted God the Son. Now, why did he do that? Why did God the Father exalt God the Son? That's what the therefore points to. If somebody said, if, if you find a therefore, you better find out what it's there for, right? And that's what the therefore points to. There is a reason that God the Father exalted God the Son. Look at verse 8, back up to verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, God the Son, humbled himself in obedience to God the Father, even to the point of death in the most cruel of fashions, on a cross. Jesus set the ultimate example for us of what humility looks like. And the kind of attitude that, that we're to carry into our relationships with each other. But here in verses 9 through 12, we're seeing that Jesus is also the example of how God treats those who humble themselves. Think of it. For those who practice obedience to God's word, for those who humble themselves before God, and this happens the first time you humble yourself before God is when you admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And think of that exaltation that you receive in Christ. The forgiveness of your sins. The cleansing. The being made new. Eternal life which you begin living the day you trust in Jesus Christ. And someday a heavenly exaltation. This is how God treats those who humble themselves before him and before those he desires that we serve for his glory. God the Father exalted God the Son because of his obedient humility. And God exalts all his children, all believers in Jesus who obey him. That ought to be our desire, to obey him, to pursue obedience to God. To God's word. That's the teaching of the Bible, such as in Matthew 23, 12, which I quoted earlier, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But also in other passages, like James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. 1 Peter 4.6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So the example of Jesus at the cross is also a most powerful example because Jesus died to redeem sinners, to save sinners. God has highly exalted him because he 
lowered himself. He humbled himself to redeem sinners. And God is now showing us here in Philippians 2 that humbling ourselves to serve God and to serve one another is not a path to self-destruction, but is the way to exaltation. And so we're learning here that when we follow the example of Jesus and pursue humility and not self-exaltation, God will be faithful to exalt us in due time, in His perfect timing. Note how Jesus has been exalted. Verse 9 says that God highly exalted Him. Highly. A Bible commentator, William Hendrickson, says of this, in the present passage, a verb is used which in the New Testament, occurs only in this one instance and is here applied only to Jesus, namely the verb super-exalted. You get that? Super-exalted, highly exalted. God the Father, he says, elevated the Son in a transcendently glorious manner. He raised Him to the loftiest heights. That's our Savior. Now, at the right hand of the Father, God the Father exalted God the Son, Jesus Christ. God the Father is the source of the exaltation of Jesus. And in the last part of verse 9, we see that He gave Jesus the name which is above every name. So let's note that exalted name. Consider that with me. In verse 9, Paul says that God bestowed on him the name that is above every name. This is not just a name. It's not just a title. It's the name. It's the the name that is his because he is highly exalted. And we hear this in Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. We also hear these wonderful words in Hebrews 1, uh, verses 3 through 4. You're familiar with these, I trust, when it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So Jesus came to be the Savior He came to save sinners by His death and resurrection. And because of this, He is now exalted as Lord. God has given Him the name above all other names. This is how God treats those who humble themselves, who are obedient to Him. And now in verse 10... And in the first part of verse 11, we see the response to the exalted Christ. What should be the response to the exaltation of Jesus? Look at verses 10 and the first part of verse 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Get this. You need to understand this. There is coming a day when everyone who has ever lived and everyone who ever will live will bow the knee to the name of Jesus. Everyone. There is coming a day when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now you need to know this too. That does not mean that everyone will have believed in Him as Lord and Savior. But whether we do or not, we will all acknowledge who Jesus is on that day. More and more today, we see that the name of Jesus causes an offense. The fact that Jesus was crucified tells you that the name of Jesus causes an offense. That has not changed, but for us, for, for we Americans who are used to having peace and liberty and the ability to say what we believe about God's word, and there was a day when that was respected. Those days are few and far between now. When you realize more and more the name of Jesus causes an offense, there are many people who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. They do not worship Him. But that does not change the fact that He is Lord. The world cannot change the facts. Jesus Christ is Lord, and there will be a day when everyone will acknowledge that and bow to Him. In fact, we see here that all created beings are going to bow to Jesus. Notice that verse 10 tells us that those in heaven, who's that? That's angels and all believers already in heaven. Those on earth, who's that? That's, that's including believers now and unbelievers. And those under the earth, that's demons and unbelievers already in hell. All will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. People who refuse to bow today before Jesus Christ as Lord, people who refuse to admit that He is the one and only one in whom we must believe to have forgiveness of sins and eternal life, people who refuse to bow today will bow on that day. People who are offended by the name of Jesus and refuse to confess Him as Lord will acknowledge His rightful Lordship on that day. Again, this does not mean that everyone is going to be saved. It's, it's the sad truth. We ought not rejoice in that. That ought to compel us to love our neighbors enough to tell them about Jesus, to live for the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that they see the gospel is true. We do not rejoice in this fact. 
But all people, whether believer joyfully confessing or unbeliever resentfully admitting, will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It ought to sober us up and keep us on mission as long as God has us on earth to spread the gospel, to spread the good news. Now in the last part of verse 11, let's consider the aim, the aim of the exaltation of Jesus. The end of verse 11 makes clear that this will all be, look at verse 11 again at the end, to the glory of God the Father. The aim of the exaltation of Jesus to bring glory to God the Father. The aim of all this is to glorify God. The glory of God is the ultimate purpose for everything. We don't often say it about everything that we do, but everything that we do as believers in Jesus ought to have as its, as its purpose to bring glory to God. The glory of God is the ultimate purpose for everything. As believers in Jesus, all that we do should be done to honor the Lord, to honor God, to exalt Him, to lift Him high in the eyes of the world that the world might see who the Lord Jesus Christ is and glorify God because they've trusted in Jesus Christ. I appreciate this little story that Charles Spurgeon tells of a minister. He says his pulse rose and fell with the funds. He never lay down or rose that he did not bless the inventor of compound interest. His one gloomy apartment was never brightened with coal, candle, or the countenance of a visitor. And he never ate a morsel at his own expense. <laughs> of course, he made money, for he gave himself wholly to it. And we ought not to forget that same single-mindedness and self-denial would make Christians rich toward God. What is wanted in the service of Christ is the same unity of purpose that has ruled all men who have won the object for which they lived. He who makes God's glory and the one and only aim before which all other things bow themselves is the man to bring honor to his Lord. Amen. I want to bring honor to my Lord. I, I trust you want to bring honor to your Lord. We can look to Jesus as the example for where our priority should be. That should be our aim in all that we do. Why humble yourself to serve God and others whom God desires that you serve for His glory, to magnify Him, to make much of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been seeing here that we also humble ourselves so that there will be unity in the church. But unity in the church is not our highest goal. God's glory is. And in the unity of the church, God is glorified. And there is joy for us and peace and contentment and satisfaction as we obey God. And because Jesus willingly humbled himself to die on the cross, God the Father has exalted him. 
God has given Jesus the name that is exalted above all other names. And there is a day when every knee will bow to Jesus and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that will be to the glory of God. The question for each of you today is, will you bow to Jesus on that day with joy and gratitude to your Savior in whom you have placed your trust? Or will you bow with regret for never having acknowledged him as your Lord? You see, if you fail to bow to him now, one day it will be too late to bow to him as your Savior. Warren Wearsby, now with the Lord, writes, A frontier town where a horse bolted and ran away with a wagon carrying a little boy, seeing the child in danger, a young man risked his life to catch the horse and stop the wagon. The child who was saved grew up to become a lawless man. And one day he stood before a judge to be sentenced for a serious crime. The prisoner recognized the judge as the man who, years before, had saved his life. So he pled for mercy on the basis of that experience. But the words from the bench silenced his plea. Young man, then I was your savior. Today I am your judge and I must sentence you to be hanged. Wearsby goes on to say, One day, Jesus Christ will say to all those who have refused to believe in him, During that long day of grace, I was the Savior, and I would have forgiven you, but today I am your judge. Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire. Sobering, isn't it? So the question is not if you will bow before Jesus and confess him as Lord. Everyone will do that one day. The question is when? When will you bow before Jesus and confess him as the Lord? Will you confess him as the Lord and accept him as your Savior or will you wait or even refuse to believe. You know, you can believe in Jesus today, even in this moment, even while we are gathered in this room and in the silence of your own heart, you could go to God and humble yourself before him in the silence of your own heart and pray and ask for God's forgiveness of your sins, admitting that you need a Savior. You can believe in Jesus and rest in that forgiveness that is yours through the sacrifice of Christ for your sins. And what a joyful thing that would be for you to trust in Jesus today if you've not done that. For believers in Jesus who humble themselves before the Lord, there is promised present help. Think of that. And God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have promised present help and future exaltation for all of eternity. In fact, in a way, you can, you can consider your salvation as exaltation even in this moment because you have been saved and forgiven if your faith is in Jesus Christ and you have begun living your eternal life already. And what a day that will be 
that we look forward to when we see Jesus face to face. And it's all because of what Jesus has finished for you. And because he has, he is exalted. And he is our model of humility to follow.